Hello, I'm Kane Winstead. And I'm Matthew Derrigish. And you're listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, where we'll be taking a look at the deep cuts and forgotten stories of the Spider-Man library, looking for lost gems and what it truly means to be a Spider-Man story. Uh, what are we going to be talking about today, Matt? Today we are talking about nothing other than Spider-Man The Final Adventure that ran from December 1995 through March 1996. Wow, we're talking about the last Spider-Man story that was ever written in 1996? It seems that way. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, why don't you tell me who penned and penciled and inked and etc. the story? The wonderful creators behind this tale are uh, written by Fabian Nisi Asa, uh, penciled by Derek Robinson, inked by Jeff Albrecht, Army Star, Greg Adams, and Chris Ivey, that's a lot of inkers, colored by Gregory Wright, edited by the legendary Tom Brevoort, with assistance by Glenn Greenberg and Bob Bootstensky, probably butchered that one, and then we should make a special note about the lettering job by Oakley and the abbreviations NJQ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I wanted to point out about the, what you mentioned about the anchors. Um, Robinson started this project, but then got a little bit behind, uh, got burned by a few deadlines. So on three and four of this, they brought in a lot of anchors to kind of help and do touch-ups. It's why there's a definitely decline in quality in the art that you can see as you go through this story, especially toward the very end. Uh, the consistency is all over the place as far as how it actually looks. I'd be kind of interested to see, uh, not to jump way ahead, but just what some of the pencils looked like from the first and like the last issue. But anyway, we'll get to that much, much later. Um, this uh the final adventure is available through marvel uh marvel unlimited and comiXology so hooray for all those who have those services and like to read before they listen to the show uh you can also get this in trade copy through that massive ben riley slash clone saga epic that marvel put out i think they changed the name halfway through uh, from clone so- the complete Clone Saga epic to the complete Ben Riley epic, um, uh, I believe this one appears in number three of nine. <laughs> Though, if you want the physical copies, you can get all four of these issues for under five dollars online. If you you know pick through the eBay and you have a little patience, it's not an expensive story. I should note, it's four issues. That's about a buck an issue. Yes. Um, You know, just be careful. You don't get burned by the shipping and handling if you do buy it online. Because I saw, like, some places where you could buy, like, all four issues. And it was like, oh, yeah, we're selling it for $3. Shipping and handling was $13. But this is one that you can definitely get the individual issues for under $2. So, Though, as we discuss, we'll we'll see if you'd even want to. We'll get to that. Um, Just to jog your memory, uh, for those who might have not read this since it came out, uh, this is Peter and MJ move to Portland. Uh, Peter gets a new job with a place called G-A-I-R-D, Gyrid. 
I, I don't know if that's supposed to be like an acronym, if I'm supposed to say it or spell it out, but it's a research center that has ties to a very monumental point in Peter Parker's life. Uh, there, a doctor accidentally creates a monster, and Peter must go back on his promise he made to MJ about never being Spider-Man again for one final adventure. I don't know. Um, before we start and like dive into the coverage, because this is a 90s story, because this is a clone saga story, to really understand what's going on, you kind of have to have the greater context, both fictionally and metatextually. So for our clone saga experts with this story, you'll know that one of the part like one of the points of the clone saga was to kind of write out Peter Parker. Um, he had a lot of baggage, particularly getting married. And this story was supposed to be the apex of the clone saga, uh, where Mary Jane and Peter vacate New York and have their like ride off into the sunset moment, which was gonna, uh, which was set up in a one shot that led into the story called Spider-Man: The Peter Parker Years. Um, so the idea, okay, yeah. So with the final adventure, Peter was going to have one last fight to Spider-Man, which would like this is the original pitch was Peter was going to have one last fight as Spider-Man, which would climax just as Mary Jane went into labor. And, like, she'd have the kid, and then that'd be it. That'd be the last Peter Parker story. Um, you know, they might have, like, they might show up in, like, an annual backup or something, but this was going to be it. Halfway through production of the limited series, though, Marvel pivoted and decided they were, they decided against the Peter Parker, Ben Riley baton pass. They're like, well, no, no, we're, we're, backpedaling on this Peter Parker's the clone Ben Riley was the real Spider-Man thing uh, but instead of canceling the the limited the limited series because I believe it had already hit solicitation they barreled through um, <laughs> which caused uh, Fabian as well as Brevort and Greenberg uh, a bit of consternation um, because there was a lot of pushback on how this thing was going to end. And we'll talk about that a little bit once we get to the actual end of the story. But uh, Matt, what were your general thoughts about, uh, about this? I, I think barreled through is a good way to sum up this little lovely story is I, I felt like I had to keep pushing through and that things just kind of kept happening for whatever reason. And it, what's kind of incredible about the story is there's all this crazy setup around Peter and what's going on at this lab, which is kind of coincidental, all things put together. But what's interesting is that really half the story is in and around MJ and what she's doing. And she ends up having more connection to the rest of the characters more so than yeah more so than pete does right like this is definitely a shared story between the two of them which i think is a really nice touch because i mean at this point they were married and they, they were they were a unit they were starting a family so i mean we get echoes of this and renew your vows later down the line where like it's no longer just peter parker it's peter parker it's mary jane it's anime um or or just or just uh annie i guess is maybe someone pointed out that it just sounds like you're saying anime 
um, which the further we stay like stray away from the manga verse, which yes, we will be covering the manga verse eventually. I did not agree to this. <laughs> you didn't agree to trouble, and we still did it. <laughs> <laughs> My will must be known. Um, yeah. So uh, anyway, <laughs> I I feel instead of uh, more abstractions, we should probably start digging in on issue one. Right. So like 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 you pointed out, this the starts with like this this R and D company, Garid Garid. Right. So Peter's here, and I hadn't read the one shot. It starts off, I think, assuming you hadn't necessarily read the one shot, but you had at least the general Clone Saga idea going, because it would have been in that time. Right. Uh. Yeah, well, did you? Uh, I'm. I'll just break down that one shot real quick. If. if uh, I. What? Ugh, do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, essentially, it's it's kind of like a clip episode almost, where it's like Peter thinking back to all the times like Spider-Man has been to the you know someone's detractment, and Mary Jane's like, no, think of all the times Spider-Man saved people's life, and then they kind of come to the agreement that he's gonna hang up being Spider-Man. That that's really it. It's just it's a one one shot. Okay. Well. What grabbed me, though, is on the first page, when you flip from the cover, is you see Peter Parker in a lab coat with his glasses on, looking kind of like he did in the very early years of Spider-Man, before he ditched the glasses, which was a bit of a shock for no reason. Yeah, well, I mean, I think part of that was supposed to tie to the idea of, um, hold on. Yeah, I think some of that was supposed to tie back to this cyclical idea of the story, um, you know, with everything kind of returning back to the beginning and having a redemption of, well, maybe redemption might not be the right word, but... But it doesn't make sense that it would go back to then, because if he's the clone, which mm -hmm. we find out he isn't, but at this point they believe he's the clone, him going back to being Peter Parker wouldn't be full circle, because that wouldn't have been him necessarily right well i mean it's full circle from a, like a narrative standpoint uh you know the closing out of the peter parker story um because i mean ben riley is ben riley not he, he doesn't like they don't trade names which they point out in this is like you know ben got to keep or peter got to keep the name and the hair <laughs> um <laughs> You know, and the woman, and, and well, um, you know, it, they, they kind of. It, it, once you start examining the whole like clone aspect, it gets a little fuzzy, and thankfully, this story doesn't dwell on it too much, too far past like the opening few pages, and that's just to establish what's going on in the main book because this is not the main title. This is not Amazing Spider-Man. These aren't. This isn't even Web of or Spectacular. This is a limited series, like happening to the side of what's going on right now in 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 the core title which is scarlet spider at the time <laughs> yeah so yeah it's a little messy but yeah yeah so um so we've got like this this new research lab and you know i thought this was actually like as far as um a scientific peter parker story goes I like the scientific aspects of it. It definitely got really dry at points, and it kept on referring to um, 
necrotizing fasciitis as a virus, even though it's it's not a virus, it's a bacteria. And they even call it a bacteria at one point, but it, uh, whatever. Um, yeah, the, the science in here was uh, dubious. Well, it, I mean, it's a comic. It's going to be dubious. I thought right. I thought it did a much better job presenting a like scientific take on a Spider-Man story than perhaps something out of the Horizon big time era or the Parker Industries era where we just kind of see you seem confused but like th- those are our two like modern points well for, like, there's a lot of the science stuff when uh, he's the science teacher but that's in a different light uh, right well I mean, I mean at that point that this you know that's closer to this story than we are to to the JMS run now I okay so yeah he I mean he's working at a lab and it is a bit more of a traditional old school white coats only lab um we we have a couple major players in the lab and then there's some other people milling around but there's no real sympathetic character to the lab so we kind of it almost feels like peter's there incognito because this is the lab that's responsible for the accident that led to him being spider-man yeah yeah um which was kind of I, I thought that was a fun take like I thought that was you know as far as presenting a like final tale and presenting it in this like limited series format I thought I mean I, I feel like putting it in a limited, limited series allows it to be a little bit bigger than perhaps the I mean even though it's the same the same page count it gives it a little bit more gravitas um would, would you agree with that like it, th- that it there's a different feel to this because it's a limited series i mean the fact that it's a limited series alone i don't necessarily think that limited series have a very uh wide ranging level of effect as to whether they kind of just get forgotten in the dustbins mm-hmm. or if they stand out as their own thing like spider-man blue sticks out but spider-man quality of life i don't think most people even remember at this point uh all, all I meant by that was that, like, if this had happened in the pages of, like, Amazing, I probably would have rolled my eyes because of, like, of, like it's it's so co- coincidental. But because it's in this limited, uh, you know, limited series, it feels more deliberate with, like, an end in mind rather well, than, like, just some sort of wrinkle they're throwing out into, you know, to be covered for years. Well, I think it's more the title, The Final Adventure, which turns out to be more final, like Final Fantasy, than any actual <laughs> endpoint. Well, I mean, Final Fantasy was named Final Fantasy because they thought it was going to be the final thing that Square was able to do, because Square was in dire, dire financial straits. So, And 25 plus games later. Well, it became a smash success, much like how they thought this was going to be the final adventure for Spider-Man. But then someone from on high was like, wait, what? No. But this was such a smash success. <laughs> I didn't check the numbers to see how well this one sold or anything. But um, yeah. my understanding is that the Clone Saga sold pretty well. That's why they kept doing it. Um, you know, when I, when I, I met Mac, uh, Howard Mackey in a, at a convention one time and talked to him for a while about Spider-Man and kind of like his tenure at marvel during the 90s and that was pretty much what he said was that they the like they they would write a story and then send it up to the suits and the suits were like great can you turn this into eight issues uh 
you know, instead of just two. And so they and they kept doing that because these things kept selling. And it was the only thing that was really selling super hot other than the X-Men. But anyway, that's a long tangent. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So we should probably dig on the people at this lab. There's uh, Ken Ellis. Well, no, Ken Ellis isn't at the lab. Ken Ellis is at the Bugle. Or, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, so Ken Ellis is the dirty reporter. Well, he's not so much dirty as he's kind of like Weasley, uh, you know. Okay, yeah, <laughs> well, fair when, enough. When you say like dirty reporter, it makes it sound like Eddie Brock, who like you know made up his story. Um, well, Ken's about as bad. Well, no, no, I mean that's a little later in the story though, but he's about as bad. Right. Yeah. Um, he definitely has some ethical questions um he doesn't eat people's brains so maybe he's a little <laughs> better than eddie brock but that's about the the line of difference right well yeah ken ellis is this kind of weasley reporter who gets this hunch that spider-man and peter parker have some sort of connection and then there's like another connection with the scarlet spider he's managed to piece together that there is something linking these three and it's something to follow and this kind of forms the what do you think it's that publication that was put out webs where peter parker made all that money off of his spider-man pictures oh well no it was actually when peter parker was tried for murder and then a three-way fight between spider-man scarlet spider and kane broke out in the in the courtroom I knew you were involved. <laughs> um, Sorry, I just find it funny that he thinks it's this brilliant connection based on this one thing where I'm like, there's like other connections to be had that were also prominent in this area. And yeah, I. Right. <laughs> but yeah, Ken Ellis it forms kind of like the B plot, uh, like, like how you're making reference to, to Mary Jane. He's really the the backbone and the antagonist of the Mary Jane side of this story where Mary Jane returns to New York and is hounded by Ken Ellis, who's trying to find any angle he can attack to get out of Mary Jane that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Um, right. That comes up a little bit more, though. Um, well, so what are the name of the people in the lab? That's, oh, well uh, half of them issue. die like after like with after maybe three panels the main person uh to remember is dr monica staphos and she is researching a cure for uh necrotizing fasciitis uh for those who don't have a degree in biology or pathology uh it's better known as flesh-eating virus or i'm sorry the flesh-eating bacteria which you occasionally hear you know, people contracted from dirty water. Uh, essentially, the treatment is, and if you're squeamish, I do not recommend you looking it up on Wikipedia. Uh, the treatment is to cut off the dead flesh from the flesh-eating bacteria. And Staphos's research is creating some sort of uh, synthetic skin to, to graft on and help people who have the flesh-eating bacteria. But she has some sort of issue with it. Uh, this is where this is where the story gets a little lost in the sauce, where it goes hard sci-fi and attempts to really dive into the science behind this. Um, there's talk of 
of protein strains and cellular structure and frankly it made me grab my liberal liberal arts degree and weep in fear so (laughs) it lost me there but basically her magical magical cure has some sort of imbalance to it that is cured by radioactive spider blood uh which is what peter discovers so peter i mean and and i kind of liked that because then it turns out that you know staphos doesn't have the due diligence or the patience uh to fully test what peter discovered and immediately jumps to human testing and creates this web monster uh, named Tendril, and so that that's where uh, that's that's when I'm I, when I said earlier that this was kind of like a redemption. Um, you know, basically what happens is she recreates the brash responsibility lists Peter Parker pre Uncle Ben death. I mean, you even get the. Uh, you know, admittedly overwrought section toward the end where where Tendril says something about how he has all the power and he has the responsibility to kill whoever he wants. Like, uh, you know, we get the very the very 90s interpretation of the inverse of the power responsibility uh, spiel. Right. I, and that is the big point around here is building up to the unleashing of Tendril upon the people of Portland, which... You know, mixed feelings there. Mm -hmm. But, uh, so, (laughs) I should also note the head of this lab is Dr. Eric Schwinner, who was the name I confused earlier. And Dr. Schwinner is the one who was responsible for the accident that led to Peter getting bit by an irradiated spider and not coming down with leukemia, but with uh, incredible abilities. Yeah, which... If that's an accident, oh man. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. He doesn't end up playing a big part in this story, which is kind of fascinating because they're taking the point of linking this guy from the very origin and roping him into the story 33 years later and not really doing much with him. Just more the fact they they name him in this story. He wasn't even named before. It's such an odd thing to make such a reach back just to have him sit around i mean i i think they were trying to like i like i said make everything come full circle with with the origin story um and he he was was he the one who leaked to the news like their involvement with the creation of tendril and like tendril's location um because, you know, Tendril escapes after killing Staphos and a few other people and ends up underneath a bridge. Um, and, in, you know, news helicopters swarm in as Spider-Man is fighting it. And then seeing Spider-Man in Portland after knowing Peter Parker moved to Portland is what tips Ken Ellis off that, like, oh, these are the same person. Um, <laughs> yeah. But good on you, Ken. Yeah, yeah, good on you, Ken. But before, but how did you like uh, Spider Man's like jerry rigged web slinging in this? Where he, I, I guess he's given up his web shooters, and so in order to continue to swing around, he uses a the end of a crowbar to form a grappling hook and then ties 
a steel cable to the to the, the crowbar and then the other end to a utility belt a construction utility belt that he then puts around his waist so he can like continue to web swing sans webs did you like was that a little too silly for you because i i kind of liked it but it's definitely ridiculous and i think they lean into that a little bit because he's he mentions adam west you know you know uh as in adam west batman so like i felt like that was kind of like a little bit of a wink to like yeah this is this is comparable to that i i mean it was such an odd thing i I liked it they play off of it like there's a nod and a wink and it's also it's playing on the fact that peter's being you know clever and not just resting on his laurels though it's weird that he doesn't have the web shooters especially because ben has his own that are better and why they never played off that more later i don't know but um it it fits this story i guess as much as anything does and i thought that was fine what i think is kind of hilarious though is he doesn't really have his webs while he's fighting a monster made entirely of webs because we haven't really talked about that tendril is a big web monster who can't be hit because he's webs so he just he doesn't even shrug them off he just doesn't feel it like he's not pliable Um, enough i i think well he he, peter mentions in narration that like it doesn't sound the same when he kicks him in the jaw which i thought was also like weirdly violent for spider he's like it doesn't have that awesome pop sound when i kick him in the jaw like damn peter i mean (laughs) he's kicked a lot of people in the jaw he's a connoisseur of jaw popping (laughs) um and then when uh spider-man tries to grapple him uh tendril reveals the power to kind of like change his form at will a la like mr fantastic um ish yeah ish but like and yeah and tendril does like he gets these like spider like pokey arm things coming out and he makes himself to be kind of scary looking but i'm like if you had the ability to change how you look or whatever is that what you'd go for at first like it didn't seem practical it just seemed like ooh spooky and well, I mean, he's a very 90s kind of villain where, like you said, like he's very creepy and spooky and it might not be super practical, but it looks super stylish. Like this is definitely a terrifying looking dude with like the like rotting jaw and kind of like the, the symbiote-esque kind of like um, wisps about him. Um, You're saying we should be glad that he didn't like... In- like punch out no fear across his chest right i'm saying that we should be glad that he didn't form like battle axes out of his hands um <laughs> that sounds so much cooler <laughs> i mean that's that's, that's carnage carnage's shtick so um yeah well i i mean it is kind of funny that they have this villain that lets you do some of the symbiote stuff in a different way and they never brought him back well this is they killed the soul well i mean like oh yeah that matters (laughs) good point but i mean no it it would kind of it would make sense that if this was supposed to be the final peter parker spider-man story and it was for like four whole months (laughs) 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 um (laughs) it would make sense to like have like a final battle that ends with you know uh the villain dying 
um, you know, not by Peter Parker's hands, but still, you know, kind of by his own hubris. Um. <laughs> yeah. I, when Moreland comes through, I think there's some connections to this monster that could have been wrong. But that's beside the point. I, but yeah, I, I'm getting the sense you, you weren't very taken by Tendril as an antagonist. Oh, I mean, th- I, I liked him thematically. Um, you know, not not to not to get ahead to where we like evaluate the story, uh, but I, I actually like this one. Um, and while like Tendril was kind of like a weird and goofy kind of villain, I thought thematically it was really interesting to see you know like a char- uh, like a villain a villain that had that classic like Peter Parker had something to do with why this guy went bad. Um, in that, like, he was snooping in Staphos's research and decided to kind of do his own thing. And because of that, he ended up creating this mass murderer. Yeah, I mean, th- there's a lot taken out of the need to develop Tendril by saying, oh, he's a convicted felon, then we gave him superpowers, and he just goes nuts, you know. Uh, he's there to have an antagonist and not play with that as much as just give peter reason to do this but it ties to his origin and then tendril's powers come from more or less the same source and then play on that uh, i feel like we've kind of already kind of overreached it was there anything more in issue one before we uh oh i mean yeah we, we pretty much like dove straight into issue two uh i mean yeah i mean like really the only other part of issue one is that there's a lot of tension between peter and mj because Peter keeps going back to being Spider-Man again, and MJ keeps telling him, you promised not to, and then there's like, oh, well, I'm doing it for the baby, because what happens if it comes out with, like, six spider arms? Which is something that was brought up much, much earlier in the lore, before the Clone Saga even began in uh, Spider-Man 15, I think it was, where he's talking to the Beast about that exact concern as well, so... Uh, you're, you're talking about uh, adjectiveless Spider-Man 15, not not Amazing 15. Just just right. for clarification. Yeah. How do you say? Yeah, I'm like yeah. Yeah. How do you say Spider-Man? No, really, just Spider. Yeah. Plain Spider-Man. Uh, normally, I'll just either like adjectiveless or the the McFarland Spider-Man. Um, which yeah. was it? Still McFarland at that point? Mm, I don't believe so. Okay, he cool. left pretty early in. Um. But to go to that tension between MJ and Peter that you're talking about, and at this point we should note Mary Jane is a maternity clothes model <laughs> uh, by default, I guess. It's funny. And in one scene in particular, she's modeling a cute little thing that says, here comes trouble, and I couldn't help but think of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never getting away from that. Uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um. So yeah, yeah. So so all this tension uh, eventually leads to MJ leaving in issue two back for New York, when and she leaves behind a letter that starts out with like I'm leaving you because I'm tired of waiting, or I, no, it's I'm leaving you because I can't wait any longer, and which causes Peter to go on a like. Not a rampage, but just dive straight back into the Spider-Man, uh, kind of burying his head in his work. Yeah, what could be more nineties than that? I don't want to wait. <laughs> uh, you mean the theme song to Dawson's Creek, 
the teen soap drama, which has a rich and storied history filled with conventions and trope later built upon by Bart Miller and Terry Dodson's Trouble. Whatever makes you happy, buddy. <laughs> we need to stop talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> this being Trouble, not this issue. Or, uh, but... <laughs> Um, so yeah, so all that. Right. So yeah, so MJ leaves and like does like the modeling thing. And I think, I, I, you know, now we're, we're diving straight into issue three at this point. Um, well, before we do, I want to point out at the end of issue two, um, Peter's walked into the area where they have the machine that right. the spider came from. But it's just kind of there in active use. It's something they're still using, which I find peculiar. Well, I mean, they said that Garrett or G-A-R-I-D or whatever whatever it is, yeah. uh, you know, acquired that through a, a merger. And if we're going on sliding timeline, this would have only been like 10 years prior. So like... And like this is, I think right? this was supposed to be like kind of a big deal. So it'd be kind of like if you if you got the large hadron particle accelerator, um, you know, I, they're they're still using that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I I don't know how. I you think would... you moved to that one though. Well, I mean, it was, it's it's a genome accelerator, and it's about well, no, I mean the the thing that that's yeah, the yeah. device that was, and uh, you know. I, I feel like the 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 large the large particle accelerator is about the closest thing we have to a science fiction superpower granting um, lab accident machine that or you know it's gonna rend the earth into one of the one of the other um, but yeah 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 so it's revealed here that the 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 genome accelerator that bathed the spider in radioactive super vitamins whatever anyway <laughs> it's revealed it's revealed that it's it's in this possession and it kind of serves as a Chekhov's super science to you know be resolved later toward the end um do you want to talk about dry rot um because <laughs> i had difficulty kind of placing where my thoughts on this i felt i don't know <laughs> um i'm honestly trying to remember much about dry rot because it's not so all right so part of anything so we've got tendril and right he's he's the second experiment that dr staphos or staphos mm -hmm. tried this thing on dry rot slash paul cantoni was the first one and, and i should note he's introduced whilst he's fighting a bear yes uh his full first full appearance is while he is like melting on a bear um peter notes that his voice sounds like someone is what was it like it sounds like someone's throat is made out of frosted flakes or like stepping on frosted flakes or something and he, he's right it's yeah, weird. and the lettering kind of starts to reflect that with these kind of jagged edges around the box, I guess. Right, and, and he only speaks in one word per balloon, uh, but he has several balloons, which kind of gives the sense of, like, a lurching kind of uh, vocal pattern. 
I thought that was interesting. Like the lettering in the story is pretty rough. I don't think I've seen a Marvel story with lettering quite this bad as far as like words not quite fitting in the balloons properly. Um, you know, weirdly spaced balloons where it's kind of hard to flow which one is supposed to lead to the other. But I thought this was a cool and effective way that they they were able to do this guy's voice. This was more effective. I feel the lettering was more painful. I'm not even 100% sure if it's actually the letter. There's a lot of caption boxes that have this like purple to white gradient that at the top is almost impossible to read dark black on dark purple. Uh, so <laughs> it was a struggle to actually read a lot of this comic for that. Well, I think you're reading like you're reading the the hard copy, right? Cuz I'm reading the the digitized version that Marvel Marvel did with when they recolor it uh because this this was this is still on newsprint and then oh. when Marvel digitizes this they they recolor it. So I didn't have that problem. Um it's it's a you well, goody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, normally, normally I, I much prefer the original colors, but in this instance, uh, apparently they were a major boon. Um, what I mean, what is it about 90 stories where you just can't read the writing, Matt? <laughs> I, I, I guess I'm just a Philistine. Don't, don't worry about it. Uh. But anyway, uh, again, this is where, like... Uh, the super science of the story gets really complex and my eyes kind of rolled back in my head in my head but somehow through using this dry rot character and like remixing a cocktail of radioactive spider blood and using the genome accelerator peter parker is able to figure out how to reverse the effects of the uh, of the skin graft that staphos made while also finding out a way to to rid himself of his spider powers and that's where we kind of lead into the fourth issue but before we do that um yeah before we do that i want to talk about because mary jane's in new york and she gets to go to new york because of her modeling gig but for that she's getting to talk to everyone she has a long sit down with uh ben riley mm -hmm. i say long sit down it's two pages but it feels like it has some of the most weight of the book and some of the biggest consequences for the Spider-Man lore going forward. So, well, it's also like the tensest part of the story because, I mean, reading this the the Peter Parker aspects, you know he's going to catch the villain. You know that like that's going to get resolved by the end of the story. But because this is advertised as the final adventure, you don't know if Ellis is actually going to uncover, you know, Peter Parker's secret and. It, like how wide a net he's going to cast when he does that and so when he shows up to aunt may's old house with a you know a mock-up of a bugle front page that with the with the classic split spider-man peter parker face and you know like spider-man secret revealed like that's that's a genuinely tense moment because this is the final adventure that they could let that cat out of the bag right no i agree um and that's but it also gets back to us talking about ken ellis and him being sleazy because then we move to the fourth issue and it turns out that this is a fake mock-up and he's trying to get her to reveal the truth in a, in shock by seeing this supposedly in print 
which is when you were saying he's not sleazy, I'm saying this is about as sleazy as you can get. Did I say he wasn't sleazy? I thought I said he wasn't, like, crooked. Okay, well, crooked, too. In yeah, my well, anyway. I, I, but... Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not being very deliberate with my words here. The guy's a POS. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, I thought this was a good beat for Mary Jane because she uses, like, her intellect and her experience and her quick wit to, to you know, be like... I see what you're trying to do here. You're trying to rattle me with this fake, you know, uh, fake mock-up. Hashtag but, fake news. Yeah, with this hashtag fake news. But, you know, I, I've i been around my husband long enough to know what, like, a real, like, uh, proof page is supposed to look like. And this isn't it. This is a hasty and poorly done computer, like, uh, fake. And I thought that was a fun way to kind of, like, give mary jane kind of like her own shining moment where you know she isn't thrown into hysterics and she's able to keep her cool and it kind of it kind of shows her as like a strong character i agree though the fact that this happens and the fact that this guy's able to get away with can't blame a guy for trying i'm like no you should be fired that's bad yeah and even jameson wouldn't stand for something of that level like that would make him mad because that would ruin the reputation of the bugle and he couldn't stand for that right i was definitely concerned or not concerned but surprised by the end of this where like robbie didn't just fire him because this is this is definitely something you fire somebody over uh you know there's there's chasing there's chasing a lead there's chasing a hunch and there's like straight up harassing a friend of the publication while she is extraordinarily uh, pregnant right after they got done with an extremely emotional murder trial. Right. And dredging it all up just to harangue them again. Right. And like MJ had already gone to the Bugle to complain that Ellis was harassing, uh, harassing her. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway. um, Okay. So our dearest Spider-Man cables his way over to his next leg of the adventure um yeah at, at this point tendril's gone full machiavellian supervillain. he's basically carnage at this point right he's just murdering at random and gloating over his uh you know his his victims that like he has the power to do this um uh, and no responsibility uh yeah <laughs> i I don't think there's a lot more to say about that aspect of the story at this point. Like, like Spider-Man needs to stop the bad man. (laughs) And then Spider-Man does stop the bad man. uh, And eventually is able to detain him and brings in uh, Dry Rot to kind of reverse their transformations. Which, I don't think... You know, reverse their transformations. And, of course, Tendril damages the genome accelerator which causes peter to have to run in and recalibrate it while it's going off which saps him of his spider powers or rather locks away his body's ability to access the spider powers but it's still in his mrna which marvel recessive assessment no no mrna (laughs) is I I think it's the mitochondrial uh, DNA. I think if I recall back to tenth grade anatomy and physiology properly, um, uh-huh. 
But uh, again, like I said, I got a fancy pants English degree, so do not take my uh, take my my word as gospel on uh, cellular um, genetics. <laughs> right. So I mean, they they purposely tried to put in some nonsense of a backdoor to to it, but at the end of this story, Spider Man is depowered. Right. Well. And since we, and, okay, so the back door was put in there because, like I said at the, the top of the episode, halfway through they pivoted and realized, wait, no, we still want to have Peter Parker as Spider Man. We want to have him as the main Spider Man. We're going to bring him back. But uh, Fabian still want, and Embryvort and, and um, Greenberg still wanted this to have the story to have like an actual arc and everything. So this is kind of their way to have their cake and eat it too, where they built in this back door, which the core Spider-Man writers were not happy about this. They, they weren't happy that, you know, uh, the, the legacy of the character was ba- basically being dictated by this out, the outsider is the word that was used um, by uh, Greenberg in an interview talking about this was that they, they saw uh, Fabian as, as an outsider kind of uh, messing with Spider-Man and having a limited, uh, limited series dictate what was going on was like having the tail wag the dog. Um, again, using, using uh, a direct quote. Okay, uh, the only other note I have in this chapter four is the only appearance we have of, I'm just going to say Scarlet Spider so we can keep our story straight here. Mm-hmm. It obviously isn't the Scarlet Spider at this point, it's Spider-Man in the Ben Riley costume, which is pretty interesting. But he actually makes a note about the costume. He's basically coming in and haranguing Jonah for the fashion editor, making a pretty negative commentary about the new costume and webbing it up in all the... Uh, all the people come in to laugh at Jonah and there is this bit about trying to say that this wasn't the real Spider-Man and uh, they have Jonah pull the story because uh, Spider-Man just came in and humiliated him and this is the guy he wants to get now basically is the idea kind of carrying that line through that this is the Spider-Man now and Ben is Spider-Man and Peter Parker's Spider-Man is no more he's just a dude in a lab working in Portland right Yeah, so I I don't know that that leaves the legacy pretty clear as to where this story leaves it. So the fact that there's a back end they're arguing about it, I think, is uh, silly. Because if you if you were to read this by its own merits, it it makes it makes it pretty clear this is the final adventure for Peter. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, I guess. Do you, do you have any more notes before we uh, carry through? Not really. I think we barrel on. I think we've hit all, all the points on like that the story that I've wanted to touch on. I, I guess now we're going to move on to how do you how do you feel about this story? Like as as a Spider Man story, like how where where do you land on this as just a like m- removing it from. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's impossible to remove it from the context of being the final Spider-Man story. But I guess right. I guess removing the knowledge that this is not the final Spider-Man story. If you were reading this 
if you were reading this in 1996, how would how would this how would this feel as as an ending to Spider-Man to you? Would, would you feel like this was a good ending? Oh, I'd be frustrated as hell. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I, I want to start somewhere a little differently. So as far as this being a Spider-Man story, this, as opposed to some of the other things we've read for this podcast, this has to be a Spider-Man story. This isn't the heroes in Alabama where you can almost remove Spider-Man or put in someone else, right? Right. This is intrinsically Spider-Man. You, you can't be anyone else. So this is definitely a Spider-Man story. It's the final chapter not really and yeah it would have been frustrating because this is trying to not not okay let's say even though i know i wouldn't have been and i wasn't reading actively at the time but i know at the time i would have been one of the peter parker people and been relatively unhappy with the move to ben riley right um but if i was the other way if i was like okay we're doing something new we're doing something fresh we're moving to ben riley i don't know if i would have looked at the story and said well that's a satisfying ending for this though you know what I mean? Like this wasn't a satisfying story. It wasn't. It wasn't a bad comic per se, but the weight that's placed upon it to be the final adventure of Peter Parker is unlike most things. I don't know. I thought it was like you know personally. Like I definitely thought this felt like a fitting final chapter. Um, you know, things come full circle. There is a return to the the accident. There's, there's a return to the idea of responsibility and the responsibility granted by the powers, you know, by, by using, using his powers, like the, the final responsible action is to get rid of his powers. And that's what he does. It's his responsibility to his family and to, to MJ, where he's finally able to give up the, the superpower and then you get like a two-page epilogue where he's like, well, I'm still Spider-Man in my heart. I'm Spider-Man when I'm like rescuing a neighbor's cat from a tree. I'm Spider-Man when I'm, you know, giving a homeless guy a hot meal, you know, that kind of thing. Um, right. Right. So, you know, it, <laughs> you're laughing. And yeah, it was like a little, a little, you know, precious, I guess, is is one way you could, you could say it. But right. You know, as far as an ending goes, I feel like this is a lot better than a, like, Dark Knight take, you know, or, like, Spider-Man Ooh. Reign to keep it on hashtag brand. Whoa! I mean, okay, so that's hidden way out the fences. This is in no way the Dark Knight Returns. Oh, and... no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, as far as a that-style ending where you go with, like, one final, like, grand adventure like that you know in in the old uh, ages spider-man deadpool uh you know i'm not reading that spider-man deadpool so <laughs> yeah no well yeah. um but yeah it, instead of going to the far-flung future this is a way to deal with it in the moment right in a way. right and i i'll i like the idea of the responsibility pushes him to take the action that he knows is going to take away his powers um I just feel like everything building up to that moment doesn't necessarily play on it in a certain way. Like we don't have Tendril who takes the idea of responsibility a different way that leads him to kill. Cause it's, it's his responsibility to X, Y, and Z some people on a list or something or whatever it is. There's no responsibility. He's just a maniacal villain that needs to be stopped. So there's no complexity there. The whole addition of dry rot 
just feels unnecessary because it's another monster in the works that needs to be stopped. I know it's used to push it forward so that Peter has a conflict to find the solution to deal with Tendril, but it felt like that could have been handled in a way that was more to the responsibility angle or more to the power angle. Meanwhile, MJ's just off and he misread that entire situation and the whole idea is that he needs to be more responsible to take care of his family. And I, I don't know, it, it just feels like we're getting conflicting messages as to what the real responsibility is here, though. And then we just kind of move forward. It, it just feels... It, it's not a super satisfying story because it doesn't really build to have a lot of meaning in this final output. Just that this final output is poetic to how he got his powers. Alright, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that. It's definitely... It's definitely a, a like poetic first, um, right. but that, that's pretty much how I prefer my endings. Like I, I'm definitely gonna play <laughs> that card and say because like it, it's you're never like for a story that's been running 33 years, you're never going to be able and especially now you know 50 yeah 50 years you you're, you're never going to be able to deliver a story that's grand enough to serve as a solid send-off for the character so i mean spider-man amazing spider-man 800 i think did a pretty good job for a certain someone (laughs) i uh kane's upset now i just i'm just saying i feel like there's a way to uh resonate with some ways that pulls from the the history a little stronger than what we got here that we've seen recently you're gonna turn this into a four-hour episode where i just (laughs) break down panel by panel why amazing spider-man 800 failed to set out everything it did oh man i want to do this so i can have my rebuttal that ties to my little pony through your arguments but Wow, we're just, like, bleeding listeners at this point. <laughs> if you want to hear that episode specially done right in, to... Yeah. Uh... Anyways, okay, so I'll say this. I'm being overly harsh to this, in a way, but I think I'm being overly harsh... If this was just a Spider-Man story and it didn't have the weight of being the final adventure, I think I'd be giving this a bit more of a pass, but because this is supposed to be such a grand moment... I'm expecting grand reckonings. If this was just dealing with Tendril and Spider-Man like had to give up his powers for a month or something, I'd say I thought there's something to this, though I guess it's not much weight. But I just, I don't know. This is an all right, you know, quickie Spider-Man story, but it doesn't really play on much of anything. Like, you need to understand a bit about the Clone Saga, and you need to have read and understand a handful of the details from Amazing Fantasy 15. But most of Spider-Man, you don't need to know to really go through this story. And for what this is trying to do, I feel like that's kind of a miss. But you you have a point, too, to what you're saying, as to where it works, it works within the story, and it carries through. All right. So on on that note, uh, reissued or untold? Oh, I've never had a harder time making this decision. Uh, where are you landing? I like the story. I enjoyed it, but I'm gonna go with untold just because the baggage is so. There's there's a lot with this story. Uh, it leans like you said. You have to have uh, you have to have a pretty fairly working knowledge of what was happening in the Clone Saga at that time to make sense of the story. And 
ultimately like the legacy is robbed from it because spider-man or peter parker wasn't even gone that long um and so ultimately yeah you you blinked and it was irrelevant right like ultimately like this the story was irrelevant and while you know irrelevancy is something that happens a lot of elsewhere's elsewhere's else world stories that i really like this had all the negative aspects in that it was irrelevant but it couldn't do anything cool with the continuity because it was supposed to fit in with the continuity so it it never really was able to play too much with some with the the greater aspects of the character in a way that was not weighed down by the main continuity so while it was an enjoyable read for me it's not one that I would really go out and tell someone to read. It's not one I would recommend just because it's got baggage. It didn't, it didn't amount to anything. And there are other enjoyable Spider-Man stories. Right. Okay. I hearing you, I'm with you. I, I would, I'd agree with pretty much everything you just said there. And that makes me think we're thinking more similarly about this than I did a minute ago. Right. I, I think to, to summarize you know, my feelings on the story, it's a good story, but it has nothing to stand it above all the other, yeah, that was an okay story, Spider-Man stories, despite the fact that it's supposed to be the final adventure. Okay, so now we come to the fun part. Moving into the rankings, I, let's see if we agree about this, I am eyeing somewhere around Soul of the Hunter, because this is also a story that is set to but awkwardly dealing with continuity that has some odd story beats but has a lot of interesting things in the story that is its strengths and faults simultaneously okay so coming into this i was actually going to say this was number three for me this was like i was going to put this above pumping up but as we were just talking about and i'm thinking about this all three of our top three Child Within, Vibes, and Pumping Up don't really require, like, they're very they're very self-contained. Child Within being the, the only one that's not completely self-contained, but you can still follow it Fair. because it, it, I mean, it follows pretty broad, broad Spider-Man beats. Like, you know, anyway. Mm-hmm. But, like, all, like, our top five are all story, all self-contained stories that well, I don't know about team up, but I, I'll take your I'll take where you're going with this. Okay. Um, and so what? What I basically what I've got to decide is, am I going to value a story that's self-contained over a story that leads into continuity? Because I don't know if that's a precedent I want to set. Because there are some stories that are greatly enhanced by leaning on a continuity, and there are some stories that are greatly hindered by it. So I, I don't know to to put it to put it with Soul of the Hunter, Web of Eight and Nine, and Marvel Team Up like in that area. I want to say it was better than Team Up, and I also want to say it was better than Family Business. So I might put it under Pumping Up rather than above Oof. Pumping Up. Uh, so I'd have trouble saying it's better than Family Business. I mean, Family Business does play on continuity in a handful of interesting ways as we went through, but would. What's always going to give family business a hair above me is, God, that thing is pretty. It is pretty. And this, this, on the other hand, it, by the time you get to the third and fourth issues, not pretty. That's fair. All right. So 
okay well i i feel like family is, is a good is a good comparison point because like you said both have weird like weird flirtations with continuity um yeah so i i guess i guess i'm you know on on that hand i would put it below family business um i, I mean i agree with you i think like in that way it's interesting to compare those two and I just feel like, yeah, like I said, family business only gets the hair above just because, God, that thing is gorgeous. Right. But, like, <laughs> I kind of like the story in this one better than I like the one in family business. Like, I do, too. Like, okay. Well, oh, oh, well, then. Sounds like... I mean, woo. I like this more than the story of family business. That's honestly a handful of things under family business already. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, uh, I, I guess... I guess is this going above or below family business i just i have a hard time putting it above family business for whatever reason but if you want to push it you just got to give me some other aspect okay how about this which had better lettering family business or this all right no no no, no we're not gonna go down that route well okay so reasons why i like this story above family business um this story has an enjoyable B-plot that features more of the cast and it gives, it gives Mary Jane an ending too. You know, it, it kind of, it, you know, the, the family comes together and they both have their sunset moment. Uh, family business. So you could argue this comic's better at handling the family business. <sighs> yes. That's, that's in fact, that's the argument I'm trying to make. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know what? I'll, I'll grant there you. we go this does better than the title sake of the other yeah all right all right okay so, so that makes this our new number four indeed the final adventure the final adventure pumping up still in that top three all right it earned it, it. earned it it earned it with all those hamburgers <laughs> all right well that's 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 enough talking about this one i think we'll put the final the final adventure to rest um finally next week matt and i will be joined by adam chapman uh host of the long-running podcast comic shenanigans to discuss spectacular spider-man number 215 and 216 the predator and the prey it's another 90s story this one is actually the uh last story pre-clone saga the ending of this leads straight into uh, power and responsibility the first arc of the clone saga and also 216 is technically the first full appearance of ben riley um post death at the end of the original clone story arc so man we're we're hitting all the key issues on this forgotten spider-man story <laughs> podcast um oh boy <laughs> Uh, but it is a forgotten story, so whatever. Uh, <laughs> thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, if you haven't, please feel free to subscribe and leave a review for the show. Um, thanks to our algorithm overlords. That's how people find the show. So please leave us a review. Uh, if you want to appease our podcast overlords and help us earn an hour outside of the dungeon, please consider joining the Amazing Spider Talk Patreon. $3.99 a month gets you exclusive access to the untold talks of Spider-Man B-Title reviews. 
and the Amazing Spider Talks Amazing Spider-Man reviews, as well as the members-only section of our Slack channel, the Amazing <laughs> Spider-Slack. For those who are concerned about the idea of a podcast dungeon, I assure you we were only joking and no such thing exists. As an apology, I want to tell you about our second tier, the Excelsior Club. A $10 a month donation nabs you commission artwork twice a year from the Spider-Man artists you know and love. Who knows, your subscription could even get someone second helpings of gruel for a week. Just throwing that out as an example, apropos of nothing. Special thanks this week to the Ellie Badge for providing our theme song. If you want to listen to more from the Ellie Badge, check our show notes for the links. Or find us in the dungeon to hear more. And until Marvel decides to retire us with a limited series, only to bring us back into the running a few months later, make mine untold. Spider-Man, and I chill of night.